0: All right, well, good morning. Good to see you here today. Thanks for choosing to worship with us. Thanks to all of you that are online. Really grateful that you are here. We are in a series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter three this morning, verses 19 to 31, Romans three nineteen to 31. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair right in front of you. Uh, and so we're kind of parachuting in again, right into the beginning of the, or the middle of the first part of this letter to the book of Romans. And i just remind you that this is a letter that is meant to be read all together. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get a letter and read a part of it and wait a week and read another part and wait a week and read another part. You would read it all, all together, but we're kind of preaching it like that because Sunday comes, you know, once a week. Well, what we want you to do is read the letter in its entirety, as a whole. We've got a tool in the back. It's just an ESV scripture journal on the book of Romans. We ran out of them a couple weeks ago, and we've got a new stash. So if you need it, it's back there. It's got the scripture inside, and then a place for you to take notes, either personally as you're reading during the week or here as as you're taking notes on uh, sermon. And so I think it's really good help, and I uh, hope that you can get it if you if you need it. So uh, let me just drop you back in the historical backdrop of this letter, and then we'll uh, begin with what I consider to be one of the most gospel-rich sections of uh, scripture. So when you think of Rome, <clears throat> by the way, did anyone see that TikTok thing? How many of you like TikTok? anyone and not like it but you know what it is come on raise your hand okay so i didn't see it on tiktok cuz i don't like tiktok but i saw it on the news that on tiktok there was this whole thing about how many times a day do you think about the roman empire it's weird right and so people were asking their husbands and their boyfriends, like, how many times a day do you think of the Roman Empire? They're like, oh, about twice a day, three times a day. And they like, no, you don't. A Roman Empire? Really? And it went viral. That tells you how stupid TikTok is. But I actually think about the Roman Empire once or twice a day. And I was like, I, I do. I, I really do. And so uh, we're going to think about it uh, today. Uh, a little bit. And so the backdrop of this letter to the Church of Rome is the Roman Empire. So you have a church situated in Rome, which is the capital city of the largest, most powerful empire in the world at that time frame. Uh, Rome is the hub, the place of Caesar, all right? So everything, political and powerful, every edict, all of it, comes out of Rome for most of the known world at that particular uh, particular time. Caesar is God in Rome. Caesar is God in the Roman Empire. He's worshiped all over the Roman Empire as God. In fact, it was written by the Roman Senate that Julius Caesar was God and his son, Augustus Caesar, was the son of God. By the way, he was the Caesar when the son of God was born in Bethlehem. It's kind of ironic, but not. It's just a God thing, okay? But the Roman Empire, they, they, they look at Caesar as God. You appease Caesar with your offerings, with your taxes. You just want to stay in good graces uh, with him. And beyond that, there's this pantheon of gods and goddesses, and you appease the gods. You pay tribute to the god as you go into a uh, a particular Roman city, that, uh, one, uh, you, could, you could go in a million of them and find a- Aphrodite or Artemis or Zeus or any of these gods, and you would pay tribute to the gods to go in and do business. So you're constantly appeasing the gods from a Roman perspective. You just don't want them to be mad at you. You don't care if they're apathetic. They just don't want them to be mad at you, all Right. So in this church in Rome, we have people with that background who are Gentile, the the scripture calls them like made up of the nations, they're Gentile and they're in this church of Rome. And then kind of the other side of the aisle, there was no aisle, it was a house probably, but the other side of the aisle in that church of Rome was uh, Jews. So Jews that like they... They grew up eating kosher and memorizing Torah, and they knew Hebrew, and they uh, they thought that the way of the West, the way of the Romans, is abominable, and uh, and now they're joined together by the Messiah in this house church in Rome, and it's it's actually flourishing in Rome. There's probably many more than one particular uh, gatherings in the in the church of a uh, church of Rome. But there is a tension, right? So in Romans chapter 1, we heard this you know, good news of the gospel in the beginning as Paul introduced the letter. But then we heard like kind of speaking to the nations, like you have... You have forsaken God, even if you didn't know his son Jesus, you have forsaken him because there's enough in creation for you to be able to understand there's a God and you've, you've forsaken the creator, you've given yourself up, and he's given you up to a debased mind and, uh, and the lust of your heart and the lust of your flesh, and you've done all these horrible uh, things that we would, we would all call sin. And, uh, and that's you, but in, in, but in the other side of the church, you have these Judaizers or these Jews that have come to faith in Messiah, but they're still struggling with appeasing God with their works. So if the Romans come from a background of appeasing God by tribute and offerings and all this, the, the Jews come from, there are 613 commands, and I should try to be right with God by keeping all 613 Right? Uh, Jesus would say st- stuff to them. You can see in the, the Gospels, stuff to them like, uh, you know, don't, don't pray like that where everybody can see you. Or why are your tassels so long? They have to wear these things called tzitzit that's commanded in the Old Testament. And, and the really religious ones would like, get really long tassels to kind of just say, hey, look at me. Look how religious I am. Right? So these Jews in the Roman church are like, we're glad we're not like you but we're all together in Christ. Here, have a cookie. You know, it's just just some tension. And so Paul has addressed that. He said, there's like nothing that you should boast in, either if you were given the law or if uh, you weren't, you have nothing to boast about, right? And that's where we pick up today. And so if you would uh, stand with me as we read Romans chapter three, verse 19 to 31, And if you're our guest we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text uh, to distinguish God's word from my own, here's what the scripture says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in His sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is it God? Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. You can be seated. The theologian Phillips makes this quote, and I think it's accurate. It says, speaking of the law, it says, it is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. It's the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. And I told you there are 613 commands in the law, but let's just, let's just take 10, right? Honor your father and mother. kids. come on. Ever broken that one? Honor your father and mother. How about this? You should have no other gods before me. Ever put anything uh, before God? Uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's not very American, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, three, we've struck out. Three strikes, we're out. We didn't get through the 613 just three, we're sinners. It it, it is the law that shows us that we are, uh, in fact, uh, fallen short of the glory of God, that we cannot, in fact, uh, keep it. In in this uh, section, in the preceding verses, it's, it's in Paul's letter, he makes this case that people have turned from the knowledge of God revealed in creation and degraded themselves. The Jew who has the law, has not obeyed the law, and is no better off than the Gentile who was without the law to begin with. You're all the same. He's leveling the playing field. So where's the hope? And that's what what Paul gives us today, and that's what I want to uh, offer you this morning by making three uh, clear observations. The first one comes uh, from Romans chapter 3, 19 to 23. And I would just say, hope for righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only place we can find hope for being right with God. Now, we use the word righteousness a lot, but let me just say, uh, let me just interchange rightness because it, it feels, righteous feels almost Pharisaical to us. But that word really means being made right before God. If you're, you're a sinner, you need to be made right before God. If I'm a sinner, I need to be made right before God. So this righteousness, the hope of it is found in Christ alone. So here's what we learn in this first section. In, in, in chapter 3, verse 19, we learn that the whole world will be accountable to God. It's, in other words, Paul is saying, hey, everybody, shut your mouths. Understand your mouths will be stopped and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Now, just anecdotally, how would we live differently if we really believe not just I would be held accountable to God, not just the the person, the individual, but every one of my family will be held accountable to God. Everybody, all my neighbors, all my coworkers held accountable to God. Would it change things? How would we live differently? How would we think? This is, this is really gospel truth. The whole world will be accountable to God. In Philippians, it would say, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We also learn in verse 20 of chapter three that no human will be justified in the sight of God by works of the law. No human will be justified in the sight of God, by works of the law. Now, how many people do you think are walking around with a scaled theology? Right here in League City, Friendswood, all the way to the island, all the way up into Houston, doesn't matter who you are. Most people have a thought about God that goes like, there's this magic scale in the sky, and if I just do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then everything will be okay, and maybe when I get into heaven, this maybe no, I'll get into heaven when I uh, when I die. Well, uh, it's prevalent, it's pervasive. It, it, it kind of seems right in our humanity that God would bless people who do good things and and curse people who do bad things. I mean, that that is the gist of what's going on in our mind. It's it's not just pervasive to like your American sort of consumer religious person. Uh, it's pervasive with agnostics. It's people who think God is sort of apathetic, and he just kind of spun the the universe into motion, and he's he's hands off. Several years ago, we had a team, and we were in a mosque in uh, northern Lebanon, sitting with a group of Muslim leaders. The first question they asked me in front of the group is, do you think, Brian, Pastor Brian, do you think uh, we are going to hell? I said, yes. (laughs) And uh, it went like this. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So we're talking like, it was legit right there, over there. And so uh, I said, yes, but let me explain. So I did. I explained. And they were gracious to uh, listen to the explanation and ask follow-up questions. And then I said, can I ask a question? They said, yes. Uh, I said, do you think... I'm going to hell. And they all were like, yes. <laughs> of course you are. You're first. Yeah. <clears throat> Why? Well, all the reasons from a Muslim perspective, but I said, well, how, how can I get to heaven? And they have, guess what they have? A scale. A scale for people like me. That if my, you know, my good works, if I will just begin to do the good works listed in the Quran, then maybe I'll be able to outweigh the bad things that I've done in life. It's not only the Muslims, though. The Jews, like, live the same way. These Jews were struggling with it in the Roman church. Jews today live this particular way. It's like a scale. Like, if I can just do enough good things for God, act religiously enough. And, and, and unfortunately, American church people do the same thing. You just walk like if I can just do enough good and avoid enough bad, and then they they, they they operate in this scaled theology, but what we learn is that no human being will be justified in the sight of God by works, none, none will be justified that particular way only verse twenty one says the righteousness or the rightness of God is manifested apart from the law in Christ. And so what we learn is that all of the law, all of the prophets have been pointing to Jesus. And when he was born in Bethlehem and walked the planet, that was the manifestation that you could see. It was the manifestation of the righteousness of God in human flesh. And if he fulfilled all the prophecy, all the Torah, all the law, all 613 commands, and he died. And he rose again, and this is this is the gospel that Paul is gonna, gonna get to. We we learn here very clearly no human being is justified in the sight of God by works, and that the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law in Christ. It comes, this rightness, it comes through faith in Jesus for all who believe. That's what what the scripture says. Look at verse 22 and 23. We'll sort of couple them together. You've heard 23 probably a lot in your life, but 22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There's no Jew, no Gentile, no, uh, you did these sins, and so they're not as bad as those sins. There's no distinction. You came from this country, you speak this language, and you... No distinction. You're from this economic class, you're from that economic class. No distinction. You're a Roman senator, you're in Caesar's household, uh, you're a slave. No distinction. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Let me ask you a question. Uh, have I sinned? Say it loud, proud. Okay, it's true. It's very true. Have you? <laughs> said no. Get up here. Get sick. <laughs> yeah, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's, uh, it's just the human condition. Like You were born into uh, this sin problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy, he is perfect, he is right, but all have sinned. What Paul is doing is saying to us, hey, no matter what your background is, whether you're me, Paul, who is a Hebrew of Hebrews and has all the credentials and all those kinds of things, kept all the law, or whether you're that Gentile Roman who was once a, a sexual deviant, who is now in the church of Jesus Christ, that doesn't matter who you are, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is uh, the tension they were feeling in the church, and this is the message he is giving uh, to them. So the hope for righteousness is found in Christ alone. Now, this is what this section, this first section, 3, 19 to 23, would be in in this shorter section of the letter, the gospel truth. This is the truth, right? Has anyone ever said to you, like, I'm going to tell you the gospel truth, and then they lie to you on the backside of that, like... They got to build it up, and then like what they're saying, no. This actually is the gospel truth, right? This is, this is what we know, that, that the whole world is accountable to God, that no human will be justified by works, that righteousness of God is only manifested in Christ, that it comes to people through faith only in Jesus Christ, and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction, right? The second part of this letter is more gospel grace. So we get the truth, and then we get grace. The second observation I would make is we want to earn righteousness. We want to earn it, but God only gives it. We want to earn it, but God only gives it. Look at verse 24 of chapter 3. On the back of 23, "...for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right? So we want to earn righteousness. That would make sense to us. We do good things. We get to be called righteous. God doesn't receive that. He only gives Righteousness. Verse 24 tells us that justification comes before God, comes by his grace. Can, now, we, we've already said, like, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all can think of times in our lives, big times and small times, where like, we would go, that's, that's the falling short of the glory of God part, you know? Uh, but what we learn is that even in that, there is this, this gift. That comes through uh, from God and justifies us before Him. I, I love this 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 phrase in verse twenty four that says, "It is we are justified by His grace as a gift." I want to talk about grace and gift. So, do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is. Um, um, not getting what you deserve. Okay, uh, we already said we're centers, so we're just gonna admit it here. Uh, how many of you in the last six months have been pulled over by a police officer? Come on, raise your hand. Um, that, that was wrong. You were, that was wrong. Um, <clears throat> there are police officers in this room that know hey, I pulled him over, I pulled her over. <laughs> She's not raising her hand. What's the deal? So, did anybody get just a warning? Come on, like, you got a warning, you got a warning, you got a warning. That's three, four, five. Is this League City or Friendswood? I'm just kidding. You don't, have to, <clears throat> you don't have to say. But if you got a warning, that was mercy because probably the reason you got pulled over is you were speeding, you blew a light, some, some reason, right? That was, that was mercy. You, 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 didn't, you didn't really get what you, you deserved grace is different than that. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. So um, like this, like Brian, a sinner saved by grace. What does that mean? It's like, I, I couldn't earn it. I couldn't I couldn't work my way into deserving. Like, there was never going to be a moment in time where it was like, okay, he's passed the test, and now he deserves. No, it wasn't like that. It's, it's that, that the Holy Spirit invaded my life. Someone told me about Jesus The gospel made sense, and I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart. God raised him from the dead, dead, and I was saved. And when that happened, I was justified, and I was given something I didn't deserve, not just mercy, like you're forgiven of your sins. That happened. But what I was given was I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I became part of the, the, the household of God. I was given a new identity. I became a son a co-heir with Christ, according to the scripture. You might become, if you're if, if a son or a daughter, a co-heir with Christ, it changed everything. Not just for my eternity when I take my last breath in the, in the, on this planet, but for now, it changed everything, right? I didn't deserve that. That was grace, right? It's like, you know, people with a scale theology, they think about God like this big man in the sky. He's usually old in their in their mind. He's got a big beard and lots of white robes. And, and, uh, and, and he's got that scale. And, and also when you do things he, bad, he will probably strike you with some sort of proverbial light, lightning bolt, right? People with scale theology think like that. Here's what Jesus said of God. There was a father. He had a son. The son came to his father and asked for his inheritance before it was time the father gave it to him. He took his inheritance and he went to a far off land where he squandered it in sin and every kind of sin you can imaginably think of and found himself at the end of that in the pig pen, which for a Jewish guy, you know, a Jewish audience, this is like the worst place you could be eating with the, the pigs. And the son thought to himself, it'd be better for me just to be a slave in my father's house than to sit here and eat with the pigs. And so he picked himself up all sloppy and he went back to his father's house and it said while while he was coming, his father saw him a long way off. And remember, he, he took his inheritance. He squandered it. He did everything his father taught him not to do. He comes back. He, he asked his father, like, can, can I, it would just be better if I could just be a slave in your house. It's, can, I be, can I be a slave in your house? And the father says, no, you're my son. Get a ring, get a robe, get him new shoes. Let's get him cleaned up, kill a, a, a fattened calf. Let's have a party because my son has come home. That's grace. And Jesus said, that's what the father is like, right? So it's not a scaled theology where you can kind of like work your way there, that kind of God is a false God that does have a lightning bolt. But our God, our God is the kind of God that says, oh, you're coming home. I love you. I am so glad you're coming home. You know, the repentance is just the turning from all that direction you were headed and, and, and coming coming home to God. This is, this is, we want to earn righteousness. God just, He doesn't accept our work for this. It's just not holy enough. He just wants to give it as a gift. And what does this tell us about him? His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 25 and 26 tells us that righteousness only comes through redemption in Christ. Like He is the ransom. He is the propitiation. He is the payment. You kind of have to understand that word redemption to get it. So redemption in that context is someone paid money to buy a slave and set that slave free, to give them their freedom. That's the simple definition. So when we say that we've been redeemed by Christ, it's that he has paid the price to set us free from the law of sin and death and give us freedom in Christ. Right? So he has redeemed us. What was the price? Well, he was the propitiation, the ransom, the payment, the atonement. It's, the price was his blood. Now, we said we can't keep three commandments. The scripture says of Jesus that he never sinned. He's the only one that didn't deserve to go to the cross, and yet he went to the cross to pay the price for our redemption. Righteousness only comes through redemption in Christ. John said it this way in 1 John 2, 1 to 3. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the ransom, the substitute, the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The blood of Christ is that justifying uh, sacrifice. Ephesians 2 13 to 16. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, does that sound like the prodigal? You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may, might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and, and that he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. In other words, this blood of Christ that was shed reconciled the relationship for all who would believe between them and God completely. Completely. No hostility, because of Christ, no hostility between God and me. I'm not at war with God. I'm his kid. You're in Christ. You're not at war with God. You're his son or his daughter, and that is grace. And it comes uh, at the cost of the blood of Jesus. Finally, Paul here tells us it's only received in faith. I mean, how do you... How do, you, how do you, what do you do with a gift? You take it. It's received in faith, in belief. It's the same Greek word used in John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It's, it's faith. We have to exercise faith in him. That is the requirement. Belief. That's it. So we learn clearly uh, the hope for righteousness is found in Christ alone. That is the gospel truth. And we learn God only gives righteousness and justification in Christ. He, he doesn't accept any of your works to, so that you could earn it. You just never could. I just never could. But here's the, the third observation, the last thing that I'd like to talk about. In verse 26 to 31, it basically summed up with this observation. What is left to boast about? What is left to boast about? Anybody have a problem with, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but a problem of boasting? Like, hey, look at me. In an insta-famous sort of culture, boasting is kind of normative. In the world that we live in, boasting is normative. Everybody, we're... we're uh, The individual is most important, and so we're apt to boast about our individual successes and triumphs and all kinds of things. And Paul just kind of asked the question, what is left to boast about? And the answer to that question, because remember, you've got Jews over here with really long tassels that are saying, hey, look at us. We're Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We have the Torah. We have all 613. Look how long my tassels are. Maybe these guys are boasting over here too. Hey, you come from a no-name little place in the world. We're from Rome. Maybe they're boasting too. What Paul says is like, there's no distinction. There's nothing left to boast about except Christ. Nothing left to boast about except Christ. Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine, familiar passage. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. If you hear a Christian boasting about their works constantly, they are struggling with a scale theology. This says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Like, Paul, what do I have left to boast about? That's what he's saying. What if, what if this, like, think about this. What if we only hoped in Christ? Does anybody hope in any, anything else but Christ? I mean, what if we only hoped in Christ? What if we only boasted in Christ? What if we only lived to hear Christ? And obey Christ. What if Christ was paramount to us, to you, and to me? I think if we understood the gift that we had been given, he would take center stage in our lives. Um, a lot of times we put it on hold. We, we say it's for later. I'll come back to that. Man, this gift that is the grace of the good news of Jesus Christ, the best thing ever in the history of the world. And we have it. We have so much access to it. So how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, first of all, there's this one simple way that you need to primarily respond. You need to believe. You need to believe. People struggle with believing that God is really that good. That's why they like to the scale. I'm gonna sit in that tension for a second because you struggle with it. People struggle to believe that God is really so good that he just gives a gift that is not only mercy, but grace. You're like the prodigal. Ring, robe, family name, household. You're not a slave. So believe, that's the very first step. You know, Paul's gonna say later in Romans 9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, justified, made right. That's the work of God, the intention of God for your life. He does the gift giving. He's that good. You have to believe that. Second response Maybe for those of you that are like, okay, I have believed that. I have believed that. Let me just say to you, be free. (laughs) Be free. What do I mean by that? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What the gospel produces in us, not, not the requirement of the gospel, not the requirement to be justified, but what... When we believe what the gospel of Jesus Christ produces in us is a gratitude-like uh, obedience. It's produced in us. It's because it's we get, like, I didn't deserve this, and he gave it to us. And so I love him, and I want to obey him. Do so I do it perfectly? No, but I'm going to repent if I don't. here's the thing. Many Christians, Paul's pointing it out here in Galatians 5 verse 1, where they they become saved, they get justified, they believe, they sin again. And it's like they go right back in this shame cage. You ever been in the shame cage where you just can't get out and and the law is crushing you in there and maybe you're crushing you. Maybe the enemy's trying to uh, crush you too. You don't have to, you don't have to As one of God's kids, go to the shame cage. Let the conviction of your sin bring you to the foot of the cross because Jesus took care of your sin there and even though you were still sinning, Romans 5, 8 will say, Christ died for you. He knew you would sin again. And so take it to the foot of... Don't don't go to the shame cage. Don't go to the fear cage. Don't go to the false guilt cage. Take it to the foot of the cross and beg Jesus to wash you white as snow with his blood. And the scripture says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's grace poured out on you and me over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Be free, be free, be free, right? You will walk Lighter, even though the world is full of burdens and brokenness, even though you will face difficulty and suffering, you will walk lighter when you realize I can just take it back to the foot of the cross. Be free. Those are the responses. Believe and experience freedom. Believe and long term, church, be free. Be free. Be free. Be free. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, thank you for the parable of the prodigal son, which should actually be the parable of the good father. We all identify with that, and we know your kindness evidenced in that parable. Thank you for grace that goes beyond mercy. Mercy would have been kind. It would have been enough, but you poured out your grace on us. You promise us, eternal life beginning in this moment for all who believe. God, I pray for people maybe that have struggled with the scale theology their whole life. Would you let, allow them the courage to believe that you're just so good that they can't do anything to earn your love? And help them to believe Jesus is the sacrifice, the Redeemer, the one who paid the price. Let's save souls today, Father. God, I pray for people that are in that, that shame cage that they believed, but they're stuck. Lord, would you allow them to just lay all that stuff down that's causing them all that shame at the foot of your cross? Wash them white as snow. Change their mind about that sin. Change their heart about that sin. Change the direction of their feet. Just in your kindness. Thanks for being a giver of good gifts. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.